Welcome to 1001 True Stories. My name is Brian Tremblay, your host. Thank you for joining me. This show is where you'll get to meet some of the nicest people on earth. Most of them just regular, ordinary, everyday folks who experience something worth talking about. It could be anything from a ghost story, to a celebrity encounter, to a close call, to a family camping adventure that went wrong. The theory here is that everyone has a story to tell, and we'd like to hear it. Today's guest on 1001 True Stories is Don Tremblay, and he'll be telling us about surviving temperatures of minus 50 degrees Celsius while doing geological work in some of the most remote territory in Canada. Good day, folks, and welcome. Our guest today uh, is has quite the adventure story to tell us, and uh, he's a special guest, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. I am going to turn it over to him and let him introduce yourself. Uh, howdy, everyone. Uh, my name is Don Tremblay. Um, uh, originally from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and spent about 15 years up in Timbs, but I've been in Calgary now since, uh, I don't know, from about 23 years or so right now. There you go. And Don is my brother. There you go. If you're wondering, hey, they got the same last name. Well, that's why <laughs> they have the same last name. Now, I rem- I know where my brother is going to go with this story, so I'm just going to kind of lead him in and then take it from there, and I'll let him explain his journey maybe, um, because he was a geologist, and uh, we'll let him explain his jur- journey and where his geological uh, exploits uh, took him. So tell him all about geology, Don, and how you got to where you are, or or, or were. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, actually, I'm I, a geology technician. Um, it was a relatively new course there. It was, I took that at Sioux College uh, and graduated there uh, in 69. Uh, and uh, went, went off, and uh, the bulk of the work that I did was uh, doing uh, geophysical surveys uh, in the bush. Uh, and a lot of my uh, my work uh, involved camping out uh, in the summers and uh, also in the winter. Uh, so the weather that, that I'm having right now is kind of timely as well, too, because it, it makes me wonder how I ever did this back in those days. But uh, uh, right now in Calgary, I woke up to minus 36 this morning and minus 46 wind chill. Uh, <laughs> and it, it may be hard to believe, but I actually worked in colder than that, and that's what this story is about. Excellent. Yeah, min- yeah, minus. Well, we are talking in Celsius, by the way, to some of our uh, listeners who are still on the Imperial. I don't know what that translates to, but I like Celsius because it really kind of depicts how cold it really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, it translates to damn cold no matter what. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, tell the folks what a geophysical uh, technician, ge- geolo- geological technician, or you said you're a geophysical supervisor, I think, at one point in time. Uh, geophysical surveys, surveys uh, is okay. what I, I got into. So yeah. we're doing like magnetic surveys, um, uh, various instruments where you're trying to measure uh, at a certain depth below ground and, of course, looking for ore bodies and anomalous features for future drilling programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the, one of the projects that uh, I got sent out on, we used to travel to different provinces as well, too, so I did you know, Newfoundland and Brunswick and BC and, and Winnipeg, 
the Winnipeg trip was up in Thompson, Manitoba, and it was in the, the middle of winter. Uh, I think it was before Christmas, but um, we wound up uh, driving up there. You know, part one of this is the drive uh, that we made up there, which we did from Timmins. Uh, and, and it took us uh, a few days type of thing, but uh, uh, just two guys, and we had this this uh, white uh, Econoline van, just nothing but tin walls and everything else, and we had that thing stuffed to the ceiling, uh, and we're on our way and driving up to Thompson, Manitoba. And as we got closer, uh, temperatures were dropping like a rock, uh, all of a sudden we started noticing that there was, the, the heater couldn't keep up because of the, it was a large metal van and no insulation in the walls and the frost was building up on the, <laughs> on the walls. So we, um, we figured, well, we got to spruce up the heat. So one of the things we, we took out a Coleman stove, uh, and fired that sucker up inside. <laughs> and, uh, exactly we, what we, the we, instructions we tell you the not to do. Bed, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what the instructions tell you not to do. Right. Exactly, yeah. but we didn't have a choice, and we were kind of figuring the roads, uh, we were kind of breaking through, you know, four, five, six inches of fresh snow. There was no real tracks and everything, and things were kind of scary just on that trip. I bet. Um, so uh, in, in the few places that we came that we could stop, we'd leave the cold stove running, leave the window open a bit, and then we stopped, went into a restaurant, came back out, and then as we came out, it was just literally pouring rain inside the car and the vehicle <laughs> because the Coleman stove had heated things up so much it melted all the frost. <laughs> well, that didn't so work So that was a memorable, uh, one memorable part of the trip. Oh, yeah, no kidding. And you're still not even there yet. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, we, d- we did get there, um, and... Uh, uh, we spent uh, one or two nights and rounding up the rest of our gear. Uh, we were getting ready to uh, the property that we were going to is about 200 miles or so northwest of Thompson, Manitoba, and in dead of winter here. And the temperatures in Thompson were you know, well in their minus 30s, you know, high minus 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was good winds blowing and everything else. Uh, so we were getting ready to uh, catch a plane uh, early in the morning. Uh, we had to get up good and early, so we had plenty of time to load the plane up and get to our destination. And basically, you have to get yourself on the property. So we're landing on a lake. I think it was a twin-engine Cessna on skis. We're landing on a lake. We had to unload everything, and we had to get our camp set up with heat before nightfall. And what and time? Of course, it... the days are a little shorter back then. So. <laughs> So, now, are you inside the Arctic Circle at this time? Uh, no, no, we're still well, well south, just just uh, well up in northern Manitoba, though. Okay. Once you're at, at Thompson, it's uh, you know not much more beyond that. So you uh, landed. So you landed on a frozen lake, right? Yep, we landed on a lake. We dumped all the gear, and immediately there was blowing winds, and it was minus thirty something. The first thing we have to do is go up on shore, uh, find a spot, a little more shelter in the trees and not too far from the water, uh, from the lake, because that's going to be our water source as well. Uh, we dug down about three to four feet uh, until we got down to moss, uh, big enough to set up a, a 10 by 12 canvas tent. Uh, you cut your poles and you do the typical little A-frame for your tent. You hang the tent from that. 
pin down the sides, put a tarp over top, and immediately you get a uh, uh, a tin cap stove uh, with a smokestack on it uh, up through the tent roof, and you fire that thing up right away, uh, maximum stuff it with wood and and uh, uh, start melting the ground uh, so you can get up, set up the cots and everything else. Um, wow. And and so it, it's kind of one already one of those life and death kind of things. You you either get it done, or you're in serious trouble. So how long did you have to do that from the time that you landed? We started pretty early because I remember one of the of course the beast pilots have been flying for quite a while, and and uh, we actually he, he demonstrated us a little trick two sunsets. So okay, which which you do by following, flying at different elevations. Okay. And you, you just get the sun at the horizon. He says, oh, look at the sunset. And he would dive down again. It's, oh, it's gone. And then he'd <laughs> go back up again. It's, oh, another sunset. <laughs> so it was kind of neat and unique. Sure. Um, anyway, the, the real part of the story is yet to come. Okay. Now, I have to ask you one thing. Now, yeah. he, he flew off and left you there. Yes. And you were Goodbye, there. Goodbye, and we probably won't see him uh, for about a week. Uh, we did have a radio. There was a radio we were using at the time, which is kind of a radio slash telephone, but you can imagine back in the late 70s, uh, what we were dealing with here, so we, we had to string up an antenna, uh, and then we uh, hopefully would have communications uh through that if there was any issues or anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. We'll return to our conversation with Don Tremblay right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to Witness with Brian Tremblay. So, um, that must have been disheartening to watch him <laughs> disappear off well, into the distance. The, the reality of it all sets in quick, but uh, I mean, I was relatively experienced at that time with working in a bush and setting up uh, uh, camps and stuff. Mm, mm. The the fella, the young, I had one guy working with him. He was a brand new student, just a young fella. And, well, basically, not to put it too mildly, he was scared of the whole trip. And I said, look, just... Just do what I tell you and do it damn fast because you got to keep your temperature up and everything else. And we're zipping back and forth in snowshoes. And, and eventually, as you're digging snow down three, four feet to get down to set up your tent, you're starting to sweat and everything. And I said, now, you don't want to stand around once you're sweating like this. Uh, uh, you got to keep moving so you don't freeze. Okay. So that night, we uh, we did get everything done. Uh, we hunkered down. You the door is just has a couple of ties on it, and we're all nice and warm. The stove is blasting. Uh, you have to wake up usually, I don't know, two to three times a night in order to keep that stove uh, stoked up pretty so it keeps sure. the temperature up in the tent. Yeah. yeah. So here's the adventure part. So what we were doing every day was we would, because it was so cold, we literally could not go outside and put our snowshoes on. We put our snowshoes on and get all dressed and bundled up, balaclavas, scarves, and everything else, heavy coats. We put our snowshoes on while we're still in the tent. Uh, okay. 
and we literally snowshoe out the door and we came back, we would do the same thing, we snowshoe right back inside because it was very difficult to try and do stuff outside, which we had to save for uh, taking measurements. These are uh, fine, like precision instruments as well, true electronics. Mm-hmm. And so we had to take our gloves off and you're working bare hands for a few minutes, take your measurements every hundred feet to move. And we might have, you know, 30, 40, 50 miles of grid that we had to do over a period of time. We would snowshoe up to like 10 miles a day. Wow. Uh, and working up a sweat, I, I, we had like three, four layers of clothes. I had a pair of gray wool long johns that I wore for the entire month and never took it off once. <laughs> and that, like, like who's going to take that off and, and have a shower? Well, mm-hmm. where you can have a shower. You're not going to have the bathroom or anything else. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> You wipe your essential parts once in a while, and I was. <laughs> and, okay, this is a family. I can remember this, times. This is like, a family show. That's good. <laughs> we're tre- we're tre- trudging through uh, a couple of feet of snow all day, at eight to ten miles a day of snow showing, uh, up and down the grid, up one end, back down the other end, and jumped onto a line. Uh, I can remember days of standing there, and I could see my heart beating through all three layers. <laughs> Really? Of my of my coat. That's how hard we were working. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. So the average working temperature at that time was in the high minus thirties. Sometimes it would get up in the minus forties. Uh, part of our survey had to be over the lake as well, too. Um, and the problem was you're out in the wide open and you got minus forty and you've got forty kilometer, fifty kilometer winds. We literally would look ahead and get an orientation that we'd cover our eyes and everything else, and we'd pace out 100 feet, which would be the next stop, and then we'd look and see if we landed in the right spot, and then we'd adjust accordingly. Wow. It, it wasn't as bad if you were working in the bush, at least because there the wind is, is cut out. When when we stopped for lunch, you know, we, we'd make sandwiches to bring with us. Our sandwiches are frozen solid by the time we stop for lunch. <laughs> we leave our snowshoes on, we do a really crude fire, and then get that going, and you'd snuggle up as close as you can. You'd roast, roast your sandwich, and you'd thaw out the bread, but the inside was always still frozen, but it was a, a good compromise anyway. <laughs> and after a five- or ten-minute lunch was about all you could afford to stop because you had to keep your temperature up, and it would gobble that down and then keep on going. So we... We would work from about I don't know, eight in the morning till about four or five o'clock before it got dark. Uh, get back and do the same thing over and over again for uh, for several weeks at a time. Okay. Yeah. So the 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 big one hasn't come yet. Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> so one morning, after being there a couple of weeks, we got up and I, I heading out. Outside the tent for a pee, of course. Uh, and I just noticed it was kind of extra crispy. There was no wind at all. Dead silence. And I, I think my joke was always you could hear a flea fart from 10 miles away. It just, <laughs> the air was so it's so dense that you could hear everything from a distance. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got out and I <clears throat> we had a thermometer mounted on the tree and we used to look at that every day. And say, oh, yeah, oh, minus 41, minus 38, la, la. I got out that morning and I'm peeing away and I looked over at the thermometer and there was nothing there. I said, 
oh, thermometer's broken. It was just one of those ordinary metal thermometers with a red mercury tube uh, mm-hmm. bulb at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So couldn't see anything. Fine, Danny. So I went back inside, and we got all geared up and went. And We had to walk every morning uh, as, as the, we got further and further along our property. So the, by the t- this time came around, we were walking two to three miles just to get to where we could start uh, taking our measurements. Wow. So... One of the things that we had, uh, one of the instruments we had involved having two big coils. One guy would be in the front, one guy would be in the back. You'd be connected with a rubber rubberized cable that had wires in it, and, uh, and then uh, we'd be like 300 feet apart. So that allows us allows us to take measurements up to 150 feet down. Okay. So we had that cable, and we started marching. And I started noticing I was having problems breathing a little bit and it was kind of burning and and i back to my partner i said how you doing and he said i he said my lungs feel a little weird so we kept going and i said well let's just keep going the sun was out and, and but it was really crispy and we got to where we were going and all of so i said okay let's get going we get in our coils and we went to string out the 300 foot rubber cable between us and the thing as soon as we separated it, instantly shattered into a couple of inch pieces. Oh, Three hundred. All, of, all of, of the rubber coating just shattered on it. Wow! And I, and then I, I suddenly had an epiphany. <laughs> I said, "I don't think that thermometer was broken. <laughs> it's, I think it was so cold that we could not see it." Yeah, no kidding. And, so we just, I said, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. We cannot work in, in this kind of temperature. We started going back, and we had to keep our faces covered as much as possible. So when you breathe through a scarf or something, it warms up the air. Mm-hmm. We're on our way back. So my partner, the young guy, he's all of 19 or 20 years old. Uh, we're walking along. He bumps into a tree, and he's wearing this kind of, like nylon Air Force jacket, big coat, elliptical, bumped into the tree and the arm shattered. So the, <laughs> the nylon on the arm shattered and it just fell off. Wow. So his coat, his coat was breaking, literally. Shattered the coat. It, yep. The nylon was mess. so cold that his arm, uh, the, the nylon just fell right off. And I said, oh my God. So we started... <clears throat> heading back, we started to feel it again in the lungs. I come back, I looked at the thermometer, and it had dropped so low, it was in behind the little uh, mounting cup that mm-hmm. was at the very bottom of it. It was gone off, off the and scale. at that time, it was something like minus 55. Holy cow. And we which went back inside, and we both spent a little time coughing and uh, uh, recovering a little bit and realizing, I said, well, we will have to remember that one and chalk that up for tomorrow morning or the next day. Right. So when the plane comes back after one week, uh, is that yep. was that the idea? You were there for a month and the plane would return once a week with supplies or whatever? Yeah. Uh, yeah, know, we, would, on we, would, uh, we did manage to make calls with our radio and say, look, of course, if we run out of batteries and stuff for the instruments, we can't work. So we would order batteries. We'd order <clears throat> more food. So one of the things I did um, in the order, 
we, we, we well, I, I wasn't a smoker in those days, but <laughs> we just thought, you know, if we had some cigars, it would be nice. So I tried to order uh, a small, a small package of cigars. I said, just for, just for the hell of it. Well, they sent in uh, a small case oh, wow. of cigars. <laughs> so we wound up smoking these big white owl cigars. <clears throat> and uh, it actually helped us a bit uh, with staying warm and stuff like that. It was kind of funny. I said, well, you, you know, when the, uh, when the company starts revealing our expenses, uh, we might get wrapped for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's the whole thing, and, and it's particularly timely because I'm sitting here now, and I will not even go outside unless unless the house is on fire, and, and it's only minus thirty seconds. I'm thinking, even I don't believe what I did back in those days. No kidding. And 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 I think of of people and pampering their kids and electric heated mats and all this kind of stuff and everything else. And we just went out there and hoofed it. And, and our lives were on the line every day. If we made one mistake, if I forgot one thing, and when I was in, it was my job to get you know everything prepared. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things that I did was so that I would never forget anything. Is I literally I stack everything in the middle of a of a warehouse that we had there up in Timmins. We worked out of the. Uh, the Bonaire Motel, and behind, uh, uh, and behind that motel, there we had a warehouse back there, and I'd stack it all up on the floor, and I would take string and I would tie it to every single thing that was there, because I didn't want to forget it. <laughs> so, as I, as I grabbed one thing, the next one had to come along as well, too. So, uh, eventually, I, I wound up uh, years later uh, as I slowly got away from doing field work. Uh, I became an expediter and I used to outfit all the camps and because and I knew what they needed and, and used to go in to help them set up and stuff like that as well too. So mm-hmm. Now did you uh, did you ever get an, into the Arctic Circle? I thought you did at one time. Yeah, that was on the job uh, in uh, uh, Yellowknife. <clears throat> oh yes. Uh, I spent a couple of uh, uh, a couple of summers uh, and they were, they were relatively short summers, and uh, this kind of another uh, adventure because uh, that we flew in on that one. They used to they filed these uh, uh, twin-engine De Havilland twin otters, mm-hmm. uh, and on on uh, floats. Yep, the standard and, bush pilot's plane. Yeah, yep. and we would we would fly in uh, with a lot of equipment, and we dropped off a more one plane because we had initially. Uh, and then we would drop us off to set up camp. We had about, I think, eight guys all together with all of our gear. Wow. Dropped us on the life uh, uh, on the ice, and then the plane would head back to Yellowknife. It was about 150 miles uh, northeast. The lake was called, uh, well, <clears throat> we, we, called, we named the lake Amoogabooga. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to it was supposed to mean I love you in Mexico or something. I don't know if that's a crap or what, but uh, <laughs> but there was another big lake just west of it, a big U-shaped lake called Takajug. Okay. Uh, but we we got dropped off there. Uh, we it was the days were still pretty short then because of course in Yellowknife in wintertime you you've got only a one or two hours of daylight uh, depending on what month it is. 
so we got dropped off. It would be in June. We had to set up a camp, at least a temporary camp, uh, and wait for that ice to thaw wow. before another plane could ever come back in again. Wow. And why was that? So, uh, because there's the only only way to do it. We have to get all the equipment ready. If we waited for that ice to thaw, it would have to be completely gone, and then the planes wouldn't be able to come in, even if there was there was little little uh, ice flows floating around. Oh yeah, like okay, I get it. So we had to get in. We wait for the lake to thaw, and then we would be doing work and building camps. Mm-hmm. In most cases, we we put up we would build wooden plywood floors, and then we put use the same ten by twelve canvas tents. Uh, build a frame and drop those over top, uh, and uh, uh, and then we, so the very first night I remember one night in particular. So we got dropped off. It was too late to do any work. We pitched this little pup tent. It was a little mercy pup tent. So eight of us, room enough to sit four on each side with our knees tucked up, and across from you would be another guy with the same thing. <laughs> and we're all sitting there, and. Uh, we we didn't even have a heater, but somebody bought uh, a bottle of uh, hundred proof Hudson's Bay rum. Ooh, there you go. And I remember taking a swig of that. The guy said, "You don't need a heater." He said, "Take a shot of this." I took a shot of that, and instantaneously, the temperature of my ears went up twenty degrees. I think <laughs> it just. It just started, my ears started burning, and my whole head started getting hot. Never felt the cold at all. Marvelous. And we all, we all basically just fell asleep uh, sitting up because we couldn't fall down. So, And, and so uh, we get like a two-man pup tent, and you got eight guys stuffed in there? Yeah, all sit, all sitting there. It might have been a slightly bigger than a two-man, but... Uh, Not much. Yeah, we took, up, we took up basically the whole floor space and... Uh, use their own body heat to stay warm till we got at least one bigger tent set up. Yeah. So. Like, you want to get to know somebody, I guess that's the way to do it, eh? Just to spend the night in a tent that's too small. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, you hope for not too many bad habits. That's for damn sure. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, uh, incredible stuff. Uh, I, like I said, being that Don is my brother, I've never really got that many details on the story before. So it's even fun for me to hear for the, for the first time through. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, better than I thought it was going to be. How's that? Thanks for coming on the show, Don. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. It was fun. I'm not sure if I still believe it all myself, but what the hell? <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us for Witness with Brian Tromblay. And if you think you have a story to share or know someone who does, email me at brian at morinstreetmedia.com. The link is in the show notes. We enjoy reviews as well as you sharing our show with others. There will be new stories from more interesting people every Saturday at noon Eastern Time. Until next Saturday, this is 1001 True Stories with Brian Tromblay. Everyone's got a story. What's yours?